everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Age of Enfrightenment. I am your host, Theo. And I'm here with my esteemed co-hosts, Dave. Hey. And Nick. Hey, everybody. So how are you doing this week, boys? Feeling good. This is actually a very rare treat uh, because we're all in the same room, which doesn't happen often anymore, I think. We're trying to really make a go of this, so we, we do it where we can. I don't know if the listeners at home know this, but I actually live in the far reaches of Madagascar, and Dave lives on the International Space uh, yeah. Station. So it's weird seeing how naked we all are while recording this. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a rare rare moment in our friendship. I think to be sitting around a coffee table. Yeah, this is actually the this. first time I've ever met you guys in person. Yeah. No, it's strange because Dave, I was pretty sure that you were a girl, and so now that you're in front of me, you clearly are not. Uh, so I don't know. That's, that's I know that you've with been such a feminine name like Dave. I yeah. know you you've been getting a lot of Snapchats and emails uh, about how I might be a girl, and it might be surprising to you to see me now, a twenty nine year old man. <laughs> but you know we can make this work, baby. And if you want to follow Dave on Snapchat, it's a uh, Dave is a girl triple X six nine six nine. So another reason that this doesn't happen very often is because we clearly lose focus really early on. <laughs> uh, so we have uh, a pretty cool episode for you today. I think this is a topic that all three of us were really excited to do. And uh, we, we, I think we uh, got a really special episode today. So what we're going to be discussing is uh, lycanthropy and shapeshifters and that sort of thing. So in a word, werewolves. Yeah, it's... It's a real rabbit hole to fall down. Um, I would say wolf hole to make a pun, but I'm almost <laughs> positive that is not a thing. Uh, I don't think so. But when looking into this, it kind of started with one type of shapeshifter that is has a, a very legendary status that we'll get to later on, and that sort of is what Tom sparked Hardy. it. Yeah, Tom Hardy. Um, and and Dave had kind of brought it to our attention and said, we should do an episode about that. And we said, well, what, let's make it sort of a general shapeshifter, lycanthropy kind of podcast. So I know I certainly fell down this well of how much there is out there on the subject, specifically shapeshifters in every single part of the globe. Yeah. There isn't a civilization that doesn't have some kind of version of man turning into a beast. Yeah, this is a really broad topic, so we're going to kind of cherry-pick the things we like and the instances of it. Um, so, Nick, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. When you think about werewolves, there's a lot of things that probably come to your mind first, and a lot of those things are some stuff that, that Theo will probably bring up. Uh, that have to do with like present day, what our pictures of these things are in our heads. I don't know. Maybe I might talk about that. He might talk about something else. <laughs> I'm not really into werewolves. So <laughs> I want to talk about Dracula's. Ooh, sick burn. So what what I kind of did was I looked at the full history of this on planet Earth in like the human condition. Why do we believe in this? Why is it something that we have legends about? And you can go really as far back as early hunter-gatherers and the first men before there was a stone age, before we created tools. People would kill animals to eat and they would kill animals to protect themselves. And one thing that I generally didn't know about this myth is I found a, an article that I'll post up on our website that kind of talks about the origins of these myths and how when early hunters would go out and they'd kill, say, a wolf or some other beast, whether it was to protect their family or they were trying to domesticate it and it went wrong, they would skin them and they would wear those skins essentially to trick the animal. So it's a lot easier to lure in a wild animal if you're wearing its skin and it thinks that that's who you are. <laughs> Which is funny because that wouldn't work at all with people. <laughs> no, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're very convincing. <laughs> we haven't realized. A deer just rolls up to you wearing people's skin. <laughs> just a chameleon with like a, a man's face on its back. Like, hey, man. Why so, are you running? And why does it have a Spanish accent? <laughs> so what you're saying is that basically they would wear the, the pelts of the animals that they're hunting as sort of camouflage. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think some people are probably familiar with the legend of Heracles or Hercules. And uh, so they, they made a Disney movie about him in 1997. Nah, Aladdin. He had, he had red hair, even though he was clearly a Mediterranean yeah, <laughs> near Middle Eastern man. The, the monkey, Abu. Yes, I, I remember Aladdin. Jafar. Um, so, 
somehow feels racist. Yeah, yeah, I think, ooh, man, we're already flirting with that. <laughs> so that people kind of are familiar with the idea of wearing sort of an animal skin, but it always seems like something people do in, in movies and stories to kind of make somebody like a badass. And I don't think people think about the practical usage of like tricking your prey or your enemy into thinking that you're a savage wild animal. My, my dumb answer aside, I'm actually interested in the, uh, the Hercules story. So yeah, well, so the Hercules story would be that, that he, when he killed the Nemean lion, which was one of his 12 labors, he skinned it and he wore his skin. And, and that's why you see a lot of uh, pottery and a lot of different plates and things that people created that, that show that. So that's really going back to one of the earliest advanced civilizations. And the Greeks are actually really important when it comes to this stuff because the word lycanthropy actually comes from the fabled king. I think it's King Lakoan is how it's pronounced. I might be butchering that. We'll look it up. Um, but he was punished by Zeus. And I don't know what circumstances this happened under, but for whatever reason, the king was hosting Zeus at his home and he served him human baby flesh and, and Neat. yeah. And Zeus wasn't cool about that. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't because Zeus was like baby flesh is gross. You're a monster. It was like, how dare you trick me? I thought I was having like cutlets and you gave me baby flesh. I'll <laughs> eat baby flesh on my own goddamn turn. <laughs> so he was upset because the, the Greek gods were generally horrible things that did terrible things to people. Yeah. And Zeus in particular is another perfect example of shape-shifting. So we already have this example where he punished King Lakoan for feeding him the flesh by turning him into a wolf. So at least to make things ni nice and tidy, you could call him the first werewolf. Now, there were probably, again, already myths and legends on different continents about people turning into wolves or in uh, certain areas in Africa, there are like hyena men and lion yeah. men and jaguar men. I got one men. in Ireland. Yeah. There's, there's like a, there's a similar story in Ireland with uh, St. Patrick. St. Patrick. There's the Catholic this, kid. This, <laughs> this heathen over here has no idea. <laughs> um, who is going to various tribes. And this one tribe in particular mocked him when he was trying to spread the good word. And when he was trying they, to spread all of the green beer. <laughs> and he, uh, they basically mocked him by howling at him because this particular clan, their deity was a wolf. Um, and also Irish people in general are just kind of... <laughs> yeah, that still happens today. They also thought he was kind of sexy, so they were actually just howling <laughs> they were at him, but he misunderstood the message. And um, he kind of was like, well, fuck you, like, let's match... Uh, your wolf against my god, and Fuck he you, said Saint Patrick. And <laughs> it's, it's I think that's on his uh, headstone somewhere. And he prayed to his god, and basically the curse that God dealt out to them was once every seven years, one of them becomes a wolf. That that's where I heard werewolves come from. But your your uh, Zeus lore has to predate that quite a bit. Well, isn't it kind of crazy too that it's a perfect example of what we're talking about? every single place on earth has their reason why this started. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it's usually built around a myth. The Norse had these myths too. They didn't call it quite the same thing, but they had uh, specifically, there were, there was a tribe of she werewolves called the Maras. And that had to do with a curse from the gods. I would say the Norse Hercules for all intents and purposes was this hero named Sigmund. And he famously fought uh, a pack of werewolves. Yeah, the, uh, he was the, the Valsung, the the great like hero. Yeah, exactly. That the same thing, like the same level to which we all read about the Odyssey and stuff in school. We probably should have also been reading about Sigmund because he was a very big deal in that culture. But probably the most high profile werewolf, although he's not often referred to that, would be Loki, the trickster god, who specifically transformed himself into a she wolf because that's something that. Marvel Comics has actually come honest by when they changed genders in the in the Asgardian lore because they did that all the time. And <laughs> am I? Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm getting a little off topic. But anyway, <laughs> but Loki changed himself into a she wolf so that he could birth Fenrir, which is a giant monster wolf who is a very, as I know, Theo definitely knows, a critical piece of the Ragnarok story for them. So yeah, he swallows the sun at the end of the world. Yeah, so werewolves they swallow the sun. So yeah, man. 
all of these things uh, kind of pop up all over. And like I said, there's the different cultures in India. They talk about the Naga, which are these like snake people. And it, it makes sense. And it might seem like a totally different beast, but it's the same idea. They just didn't have as many wolves as snakes <laughs> as a problem there. Right. I feel like the idea of people turning into an animal, especially one of the scarier animals in an area, that's as, as storytelling goes, that's pretty low hanging fruit. You know, that's, that's one of the first places you're going to go to. I feel like in a lot of cultures, you see these kind of, uh, you, you see patterns in, uh, the, the characters that they have in their folklore and the, the monsters and myths and things like that. And, uh, there's, there's a good reason for that. Yeah. It, and it shows up and there's a lot of themes that people have kind of brought up for why why do we care why is this a thing and and a lot of it comes down to just like savage acts we know now in our modern times by having 2020 hindsight at all at history that it's brutal and it's bloody and and disgusting at points but at the time it, it you know when something unspeakable happens to your village and there's someone slaughtering children or or killing livestock out of revenge against their neighbor or something it's, it was a lot easier for them to believe that like, well, that asshole down the road is a werewolf and he came and he ate and yeah. he's not just like a sick person. No one can be human, that awful. Yeah. What <laughs> human being would be that awful. Meanwhile, we've done way worse things than probably any wolf out yeah. of, out of sheer will. Us three in particular is what Nick <laughs> means. Yeah. We are not, uh, we're not immune from that, but there's, there's a lot that, that kind of goes into that and, and why it's all over the world. And, it really informs the way that we think about scary things, I think, a lot. Like, when we think about monsters and stuff, a lot of our monsters are just, like, people mixed with an animal. Yeah. And that's something that we'll probably talk about in a lot of other podcasts, but for this one, we wanted to specifically stay within the territory of lycanthropy because it's so... It's such a big deal to people. And the fact that we can have uh, multiple series... For like teenage girls who are like romantically involved with <laughs> with werewolves speaks a lot to how pervasive this is in our culture. Yeah, I also found it really interesting that lycanthropy it it pops up everywhere. You know, the thing that I'm going to be talking about later in this episode is is pretty damn specific, and it really only happened in one specific place. Uh, the actual myth of of lycanthropy uh it seems to come up in literally every single country like if you go far enough back there is everything and like you were saying there's definitely the animal will change slightly but it's always people have always seemed to had myths around shape-shifting right. and there's oddly specific things that show up in each one of those myths like Turning into something. They can out all of, play basketball. They, they're all really good at basketball, <laughs> even though they are tiny white guys who later <laughs> suffer from Parkinson's disease. Well, he can't dunk, but he's got good fundamentals. He's He knows the game inside and out. That's 100%. I didn't, I didn't mean to derail that. Make your point, please. <laughs> but oh, a, a thing that pops up a lot is sort of shape-shifting as a punitive situation. Like, you fucked up, which... I think that's what a lot of our fables and myths come from is just trying to get people to not be terrible to each other. Yeah. Don't, don't screw your neighbor's sheep. Don't <laughs> screw your neighbor's no. daughter. Just in general, don't fuck things that you don't have the right to do that. And a lot of the stories are legitimately people doing that. And I'd be like, Oh, well you're a wolf now, which I don't know. You could give someone a worse punishment, I think than turning him into an apex predator, but it seems to yeah. be a common thing. And I think what it is, it's less about it's terrible to be a wolf and more about you're behaving like a savage beast. Yeah, so you are an now animal. a savage beast. And and that savagery comes up a lot, but there's also, and I know, Theo, you've found some research on this too. There's like sort of a sexual connotation. I think there's a sexual connotation to like wolves anyway. I mean, you see like Little Red Riding Hood is kind of just a story about a girl being pursued by... Yeah, no, buckle in. This is about to get sexy. <laughs> No, I, I think you're absolutely right. The the kind of prevailing uh, theme to, to werewolves, and I think one of the reasons that it's become such a staple of pop culture is this idea of loss of control. 
So for in a lot of ways that can be bad, like you were saying, you know, in ancient mythology, being turned into a wolf was uh, people would this would happen to people as a punishment, right? Because you blow it, you're a wolf now, right? So you you become this savage who has no control over your emotions and um, your your temperament. Uh, but at the same time, it can be loss of control in a good way because you're, you know, exploring parts of your sexuality that you normally would not. Right. So werewolf is like a surrogate for going to Vegas and just acting like a, a goddamn maniac and then coming home and being like, because there's there's a freedom from, uh, I guess, guilt in, in the werewolf story. Right. Like you're a werewolf, you're a vampire you have agency and you're choosing to kill people. You're a werewolf. You get to wake up the next to me like, Oh, what did I do? Well, yeah. I guess I'll just go to work now. Exactly. And you don't have to feel bad about the horrible things that you did. Yeah. It's, you see in, in werewolf movies, it's, uh, there's always the very similar scene as to something like in the hangover, you know, right. or, or beer fest where, you know, <laughs> he literally he yeah. actually, wakes yeah, up that's, that's actually a really good example of ending it, to the hangover that possibly could have oh, been, they weren't drunk. They were just werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, they like the, uh, the werewolf or the drunk, they wake up the next day and like everything around them is all messed up and their clothes are gone and things like that. And they're just like, Oh God, what did I do last night? Right. And then they just kind of chalk it up to a curse or chalk it up to, you know, which really another thing that is littered throughout our history is people just finding ways to deflect from their own shitty behavior. Yeah. Just, oh, well, you know, I didn't, same thing with witches. It's like, oh, she visited me in my dreams. That's why I was thinking about banging that chick down the road who's sexier than my wife. It has nothing to do with me. It's because she's a demon. So. I wasn't aware that that was a thing that witches did. <laughs> well, they didn't. That was the problem. That's just what they got <laughs> murdered for. But it's the same idea. It's like it's taking the responsibility outside of human hands and passing it on to something supernatural. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, saying that as a human, if you lose control a little bit, be careful because there could then be a situation where you just have no control. Yeah, you are you are this close. You are inches away from turning into the antithesis of a civilized person. No. Well, and, and there's another particular story from history that I think is really interesting, which is the tradition of the loop guru, which is like a French version of a werewolf, which is why it sounds ridiculous we were talking about this before we started recording i said i love a good monster with a goofy name yeah can, can you uh say it in a french accent the loop i i wanted it to be well, it's uh, nicholas I, I i wanted it to be much more uh like peppy lip oh, right, thank you all right you can go on now. there's a lot of different kinds of french people nope. no there's not and they are all sexually aggressive and they smoke um but the loop guru tradition. <laughs> a lot of editing happening in this one. <laughs> All right, we got the Irish. We got the We're French. going raw. This is staying raw. But the, a lot of what our Western version of a werewolf is comes from France and from Germany. They were big on this, probably because there's just a shitload of wolves. There's, you know, we think of how built up those countries are now, but that was just like stark wilderness for a really long time. And there was a lot of these stories. And the French, like the British were an empire that, you know, dropped their roots all over the world. And now you have places like Trinidad and Tobago where there's a very, like, big pop culture slash almost religious context to the Lucaroo to the point where during Lent, people will tell their children, like, you have to keep Lent, don't break Lent, because if you do that seven years in a row, you'll turn into a loop guru or a loop guru will come after you. There's different versions of it, but either way it's saying like, okay, we believe in Jesus and we believe in the Holy Trinity. And also werewolves will fuck you up if you, if you don't, uh, or if you eat chocolate during the 40 days before Easter. Oh yeah. And you know, it's important to remember that we can sit here right now and be like, ha, 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 oh, that's what ridiculous. a bunch of goons. <laughs> like, you, you have to imagine that if you believe this, if this was something you were raised and, and told that this is absolutely something that could happen to you, this had to be a horrifying notion. The idea that something would come at night that looks vaguely human but is an animal that will just tear you to pieces and that's if you're lucky if you're unlucky it will turn you into what it is right and then you'll probably kill your whole family when they break lent or whatever oh, whatever yeah. it's, the it's a horrifying notion for uh people who are actually in it 
Yeah, it definitely makes sense that this is, like you said, it seems silly now, but at, you know, in in years gone by, it's the the the, the notion of a werewolf wasn't it wasn't ridiculous. Uh, and I mean, four hundred years ago, somebody who had some kind of really debilitating um, mental disorder who was killing people that doesn't okay sorry uh, somebody who has a really um debilitating mental disorder who's killing people you wouldn't have any explanation for that yeah you know it's i mean we, it, medical technology and um psychology has gone so far since then i mean you know if you just think about the fact that we didn't have mris until the mid 80s right so the best explanation was well i guess that dude's turning into a wolf yeah. Because that looks like that's what's yeah. happening. Something as simple as rabies, which we know we can contract from a rabid dog or a rabid wolf possibility. It's not that hard to imagine somebody in the dark ages and a ra- bit by a rabid dog or a rabid wolf. And then they themselves start to go mad. They foam with the mouth. They lash out uh, like an animal in a very savage way. And, and oh, yeah. people say, well, of course, like I, I watched him get bit. Yeah. By that why beast. would you He's not make into that a beast. connection? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, a another thing that like seems to be part of the myth in every place is like, beware this creature because the worst thing it can do to you is make you like itself. Yeah. And then there's, you know, like going back to medical conditions, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys know what this is, even if you don't know the name, uh, hypertrichosis, uh, also known as Ambrose syndrome. It's like, I'm sure you've seen pictures of like sideshows with like, see the amazing wolf boy yeah. where you have the people that are covered in hair. It's, it's a medical condition that causes you to grow thick, coarse hair over your face and upper torso. And it's super rare, but it's something that's been around for as long as there's been people. So at some point that would have happened and somebody would be like, oh shit, there is a werewolf right there. I yeah. fucking see it. And the, or, and the makeup on the original Wolfman is like identical to that. Like oh, if you yeah. see that movie and you haven't seen these people in real life, it's the same. It's not like, oh, they're kind of hyping that up. Like, yeah, you're, you have a little extra hair. No, your, your nose you know, your cheeks, every, your entire face is completely covered in hair. And this is a real thing. And people actually are born this way. So getting into that, uh, I know Theo has a lot of sort of pop culture stuff to kind of talk about. And I think the Wolfman is one that is so iconic to the same level as Dracula and Frankenstein, all the universal monsters. So uh, I think there's probably, you know, whatever inroads you want to kind of get into that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the the reason that werewolves are still so prevalent in pop culture and I think one of the reasons that the the werewolf as opposed to, you know, something like the the Aztec were jaguar or the Hawaiian were shark, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. Is that no, a thing? Yeah, man, that's a thing. Oh, of course it is. It's amazing. And so it's wait, like, if you turn into a shark on land, are you just a flopping fish? And <laughs> like just on oh, the sidewalk. Shit, because I thought where shark sounded so cool. Because I was just thinking like a street shark. <laughs> well, I but mean, when you it's put practi- it like that, that's a terrible. Thing. It's practical if you want to attack people in the water, which yeah. a lot of people in Hawaii would be. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's like we were saying, each culture. You just stay have- in a tank while you're while you're home, like you're home in between with your wife, yeah, and you just, just have to live in. <laughs> you just have to live in the bathtub. Uh, each culture is going to have this kind of mythology where you turn into the the baddest animal around. For, for Hawaii, baddest in a positive way because sharks are bad. Yeah, but sharks are also bad in a negative way because they're they're no sharks are bad swimming monsters. Sharks. Are I, mean, bad. I mean, I agree. Sharks are bad. <laughs> was oh right, three I had, A's. Shit, I was going somewhere with this. <laughs> um, anyways, the reason that I think that the werewolf is so prominent still is because of the is because of the uh, the Wolfman, the movie starring Lon Chaney Jr. came out in nineteen forty one. It was at the birth of the uh, the the Universal monster movies, you know, um, the Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, really, really influential horror movies, and it really tied into the themes we were talking about. You know, the loss of control is about a man who uh, goes to an American who was born in uh, England. He returns to his home. He gets bitten by a wolf, and it's about him transforming and. I mean, it's 
one of those movies that really hasn't aged very well. No. Unfortunately, but at the time, it scared the piss out of people. Yeah, because it people that was a time where people were just starting to see anything on film. Like film had been around for a little while, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that was as ubiquitous as now. So to see something like even if he wasn't covered in hair, like just a man being savage on film like that, I think would have had a, a much bigger impression on somebody than than it would now. Now we have now it has to be like the best possible CGI tearing people to pieces. But it's I kind of I kind of wish we had that sort of mysticism about something as simple as that movie to be like, oh my god, it's a fucking terrifying werewolf. Right, absolutely. Uh, but one of the the things that is so important about this film is that it sets the rules for werewolves as we know them. Uh, you become a werewolf by getting bit by a werewolf. Um, and I mean, like we're talking about, there's other ways, according to folklore and cultures, that you can become a, a lycanthrope. One of the ones I really like is that if you drink rainwater out of a wolf's paw print, you'll become a werewolf. So, I mean, try not to do that. That's hey, a that, straight-up Duran Duran song right there. That's an interesting one to me, because why would that... You know, with a lot of the things that that Nick brought up, it's very much like, all right, well, if you revert to this deplorable behavior, um, you might become this monster. This is just like, (laughs) if you're in a really desperate situation and you're thirsty, uh, don't do that or you'll become this horrifying monster. It's like a weird loophole. Uh, Yeah, I mean, and this might be a stretch, but if you drink water that's bad for you you can go insane i mean it's i maybe it's not that much of a stretch that like somebody drank some bad probably not from a paw print but somebody drank some shitty water and they went insane and became violent and who knows where these things start and then you can pass it down enough and people are like oh yeah, it's oh, yeah. My, no, my cousin I, I he drank can, rain from a from a paw print yeah, now he's I, a I hairy guy yeah uh, a settler grandfather yelling at his kid that if he drinks water out of a paw print, he could turn into a werewolf. It's right. like the same thing. If you jerk off too much, you'll grow hair in your palms. It's like, it's not going to kill you, but you don't want that. So you'll probably avoid that behavior. Well, maybe, you'll maybe, at least wear gloves. Maybe when you, you grow do. hair on your palms because you're becoming a werewolf. <laughs> or because you're becoming a man, goddammit. <laughs> Play with yourself, kids. Don't say kids after that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. I meant that in the oldest possible meaning of the word, like 10 to 12. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Nick's becoming a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, the Wolfman is a big one, and I think that one really brought werewolves into the the zeitgeist. Um, And... Since then, there's been there's been a solid werewolf movie. I'm going to say like every probably three to five years, werewolves yeah, will pop up. I think that's fair in a movie, and you have things like American Werewolf in London, which is a great movie directed by John Landis. Came out in 1981. And probably still to this day, probably one of the coolest special effects scenes of all time oh, yeah. is oh, yeah. his transformation. Yeah. And that movie, if you haven't seen it, there's a very, very detailed transformation of the main character into a werewolf. And the, it, it's, it's just really great body horror. If yeah. you're into it's that excruciating, it's long and painful. And I think we've been desensitized by a lot of these more magical werewolf kind of transformations mm-hmm. where people sort of just, I don't know. It just happens very quickly or there's even like brutal ones that don't look as painful where people like tear out of their own skin, but it happens in a hot second. It's just very action film. Whereas in this movie it is, it's the scariest oh, thing. Yeah, it's no. scarier than it's him grisly. eating people. It's, it's the fact that he's transforming. Yeah. It's the most, he's like thing screaming in agony while yeah. he's turning. Mm. And just a really great example of beautifully done practical effects and just stop animation and puppetry all mixed together for just a really incredible moment. Uh, But, but it's, I think that the reason that werewolves have stuck around so much is that they are a great stand in for a lot of fear and anxiety that people have. So, you know, in going back to American werewolf in London, it's, it's all about that, you know, losing control and it happens in a very, very violent manner. Right. And um, then also elements of being the foreigner, like just the fact that he's like away from home and and there's this this feeling of like otherness to it. And that's I, I mean, you could probably make a lot of uh, assumptions about 
the the subtext about that about being like a monster in a different place. Oh sure, yeah. And you also get werewolves in not as well directed movies, you know, like the the Underworld series. And uh, first one was good. You know, that's fair. The first one it was, was good. pretty. It was pretty yeah, good. It was, it was decent. Um, there's been like a million of them though. There have been there's, a lot. One just came out last year, I think. One just came out like a month ago. Oh really? Is it that? Or maybe it didn't come out I, yet. I don't know. No, I think it came. I think we just didn't care. I think it came out yeah. in like the fall. Um, but it's it's werewolves fascinate people. Uh, there's a series that there's a couple of them came out in the '90s called Ginger Snaps, which was about um, two teenage sisters who become werewolves, and that really tied into what we're talking about, like the sort of sexual connotations of. Uh, the the werewolf myth and it dealt with you know it was kind of a metaphor for the girls going through puberty and it was it, those are pretty decent movies the writers clearly didn't have a very high opinion of grown women <laughs> <laughs> well you know they're really sweet when they're young and then they turn into snarling uh, beasts who are all hairy and want to eat you well and what happens is a lot of times you see that the when the the victim of the werewolf becomes a werewolf themselves they're not they're not bummed out about it all the time right yeah, it's like we're we're talking about the uh, the um, hangover thing. You know, it's it's a way for people to cut loose, and yeah. you get sort of a justification for it, yeah. or or at least an excuse. Well, Trick or Treat is a movie that I know I know we Shit. all love, I and there is a uh, yeah, I didn't think about it till right now yeah. either. And then when you brought up that cutting loose, that is a gross yet really kind of joyful scene and I won't go into detail if people haven't seen it yet because I think you just need to watch it. Also kind of sexy too. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah, it's, it is a scene where it's like, oh, they're having a really dope party if that kind of mutilation and gore is your thing. But <laughs> there's no sense of uh, of regret or or loss of humanity there. It's like a celebration of, hey, this is our night. We're going to cut loose. We're going to do what we do as these kinds of creatures. And it's like, it's kind of a bizarre thing to take away from it. It's like, oh, that wasn't necessarily like, I don't know whose side I am on there. And I think most people probably lean toward the wolves. Sure. And that's why I think that werewolves come up so much in like, I guess the term now, because it's a thing would be like teen supernatural romances, you know, crap like uh, Twilight or even good stuff like Buffy. You know, it's because you can have sexy werewolves because it's all about losing your inhibitions and giving in to your primal self. Yeah. And that, even when I was doing my research, I came across something that I had never thought of. Now we all know that like sort of fairy tales, the Grimm's fairy tales, there's usually a very dark undertone to a lot of those. But one thing that I never thought of was reading beauty and the beast as sort of a, another coming of age tale, not so much bell with her own sexuality or her own puberty, but like sexual relationships with a man. Like she sees when in the beginning she's young, she sees the beast and he's monstrous. He's terrifying, which I think anybody can feel when they're a little kid and you think about, you know, at the other sex having cooties. And then when she comes around and falls in love with him, he transforms. Now you could take that as a metaphor as he's still the same exact creature or same exact beast, but she now sees him as like a handsome man because she's learned to look past the things that are terrifying about having sex. Now, I'm going to disagree with you there, Nick, because if she wanted a handsome man, she would have gone for Gaston. <laughs> he was kind of hairy, too, though. Yeah, but that's like, a specific line in the movie. He was so arrogant, though. Yeah, but this is. Uh, yeah, but so was the Beast. He was a real piece of shit. We have to do a whole podcast about that. Yeah. Uh, just taking apart the fact that he was kind of the worst person in that entire movie. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast came out in the 80s. Hairy men were in in the 80s. That's true. And hairy women were in in the 70s. Fun fact. We're getting off on some really bad tangents this episode. <laughs> and not just that it keeps happening, but really just terrible subject. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> but I, I think what's cool about the pop culture stuff that you're talking about is that it feels, I feel like people still have, and I could be wrong, but people still have a general sense that these things are very contemporary or very modern. And it's just, something that we're never going to get away from. I'm fully convinced that whatever life is like 500 years from now, we're going to have stories or movies or, you know, whether they're projected directly into our brains or whatever 
uh, about, about werewolves and about people shape-shifting. Because it, it just, I, it's almost hard to imagine life, life without it because it's such a, a pure archetypal story. Yeah, and you have to wonder 50 years from now, because I'm sure the werewolf thing will still be around. Will it still have the same morality issue that it does now? I mean, it seems for the last uh, couple hundred years, it's been all about losing control, but it's been recently more about sex. Um, like there's a lot of metaphors there for budding sexuality and losing control, uh, in 50 years, which will hopefully be a more, even more enlightened time than now. Uh, will it be something else? Uh, maybe, you know, is there, is there some other symbolism that it's going to, yeah. And I, I think that's what makes it such a great archetype is because probably once upon a time, everybody thought werewolf is a bad thing, no matter what, because they were more repressed. There was just more of the standard rule of law to behave yourself in every possible way. Now, like trick or treat, we're seeing more interpretations or even like twilight where it's not so bad. Like they're just misunderstood and think about how that reflects the way we feel. Now we're much more, especially our generation is much more likely to see something we don't understand and say, well, let's get to know it better as opposed to it's, it's beastly or monstrous. So what will that look like? For our grandkids and, and, and people, you know, then. Yeah, because it seems to be timely. Because, you know, if you get back to some of the original myth, you know, how, how what's his name, tricked Zeus, yeah, or how... King like um, Scott. How those... <laughs> we're we're going to call him Scott. <laughs> King Scott. Uh, how that clan insulted St. Patrick, uh, going against God, defying God, we... It seemed like that became less a part of our lives and suddenly it became a violence thing. Now we're moving on to the sexuality thing. Right. Um, and, and it's the same thing with, you're right. And I think it's the same thing with a lot of different monsters. We're seeing more of that connotation because another thing that I think plays into the history of this really well is psychology. Like Theo said before, once upon a time, we didn't have any way to understand the brain and people's behavior. So you chalk it up to turning into a werewolf or something. But with the dawn of modern psychology, there's more people actually studying these things. And so maybe that's why people are more quick to be like, well, maybe it's tied to sexuality. Like, we're just kind of guessing still because it's yeah. like this sort of innate, like, kind of thing ingrained in us. But now it almost makes more sense. Take, take it away from religion and think about it in a psychological context. Like, okay, well, the story is about a werewolf, but what's it really about? And yeah. how often do we like try to seem smarter? We'll be in like, I think it's about sex, and just and often it is, but it's it's kind of like people chalking it up to that. And actually, in the same vein as, as psychology, one of the things that I kind of want to talk about a little bit before we kind of get into more specific kinds of lycanthropy is uh, clinical lycanthropy. So this is like an actual studied mental disease, uh, or at least the condition. And I found an article uh, by a guy named Bahar Golapur on livescience.com. We'll link that on the website. But he kind of talks about a study that this doctor did um, finding cases since 1850, and there were 56 different original cases documented about people who believed themselves to be werewolves. Not just something tangential, but specifically would tell their doctors, like, I'm a werewolf. To the point where, by studying them and observing them, the doctors believed that these people wholeheartedly, when they looked in the mirror, they saw themselves as a werewolf. They'd look in the mirror and they'd see this, so it's almost kind of a type of body dysmorphia as well. But also people, like, claiming that Sometimes they change at night, people claiming that their fingernails would grow longer and their teeth would grow longer and they'd be covered in hair. And it's a very, very rare case, but enough that it's been documented and a lot of the symptoms are the same, even for completely unrelated cases, which is pretty fascinating to think about. You're not just hearing something on the news because we certainly haven't seen a lot of 2020 reports on clinical lycanthropy to give people the idea and uh, one of the, the things here was that in reviewing all 56 of the cases, uh, this guy Blome found that 25% of the patients were diagnosed with schizophrenia, 23% were uh, diagnosed with psychotic depression, and 20% were diagnosed with bipolar disorder. 
So that's another crazy thing too, is that these people have different kinds of mental disorders and yet they're all saying they're a werewolf. Like one guy's bipolar, the other guy's schizophrenic. And I, I'm sure anyone in that actual scientific community would say that those are very, you know, we see them as linked because they're, you know, crazy people, quote unquote, but they're different disorders. And yet people are having the same thing and claiming that I know I am a werewolf. This is how I live my life. And that's a, yeah, that's a very specific place for the, them to go to. Yeah. It's much more specific than I'm a shapeshifter and I can turn into anything I want. It's like, no, I'm, this is a disease I have. I'm a werewolf and I've been a werewolf my whole life. And I'm 100% convinced about that. And then sort of really quickly, I, there are two cases in particular from history that I find fascinating where people have claimed to be werewolves. And they're, too, they're completely in contrast with each other when, they, when you think about how they saw themselves as a werewolf and what their role was in the world. One was Ben Franklin, I know that. Well, yeah, he was a real pusshound, so there, there's <laughs> no, no doubt of that. The one is actually much more beautifully documented than, than we could do here on a podcast called Lore, so you should check out, I think it was episode three of Lore, it's The Werewolf of Bedburg. But just as a quick idea for who this werewolf was, and this is a real person in history that was documented and executed ultimately for his crimes. It was this guy, Peter Stump, and there are debates whether or not that was even his name. I think some people say they just call him that because he had one hand, which is already like, ah. what, a, what, a, what a terrifying way to set the scene. It's like, oh, the one-handed werewolf man. And this was in the mid-16th century in Germany. He lived in a village. And this is by his own account, a man who said that he was given a magic belt by Satan, one of our frequent guests on this podcast, I would oh, say. Okay. And he ate his own son's brain. That's an actual thing that this guy did, Peter Stump. He was executed on Halloween, which I don't know if they did on a purpose, but it's pretty awesome. This is in 1589. And, he, and the way that they killed him was particularly almost more interesting than the fact that he was a werewolf. And this goes to show how genuinely terrified people were of werewolves, like a, a real practical thing they were afraid of. They strapped him to a wheel and raised him above the crowd and peeled his skin off, peeled off his limbs, removed his head, and then they actually mounted a wolf, an actual wolf body above his body and put his head in place of the wolf's head. Jesus. That's just like uh, just like Robin, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's where they got that from. Yeah, and this was a, this was how serious these people are, and they took it not as just a punishment, but they much like hanging pirates in the golden age of piracy. They wanted to warn any other werewolf: you come into our village, this is what you get. Now they didn't have no reason to think this because I have some direct quotes from this guy. So this is from an article uh, that I found on Horrorpedia that we can link to. He said, hello, I'm Mr. Stump. I'm a werewolf boy. <laughs> but uh, the, the quote from that article that I have is, threatened with torture, he confessed to killing and eating 14 children, two pregnant women whose fetuses he ripped from their wombs. And actually, this is important to add. When I was researching it, they didn't even necessarily have, they had proof of, I think, some foul play on his part. But yeah. most of it came down to his admission. They didn't necessarily find 14 kids because he said, no, I ate them up. Like he told his community of neighbors, like, yeah, I'm a werewolf. I will. I was given a belt by the devil. I will eat your kids. And they killed him for it. But one of the things that is really particularly uh, very spooky about this is um, in his own words, he had said, I don't know if it was at his tri trial or just later on in his life, he described eating the fetuses as dainty morsels. So nice. whether or not this guy was a werewolf he, everything he did was werewolf-like. Like he's a real human being who basically decided, I'm going to live my life like a werewolf. I'm glad that we managed to fit eating babies twice into this episode. Did we talk about, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. and they were yeah, both Zeus. my fault. It would be so much more it. horrifying if we didn't, and that means Ed was just thinking about it while we were talking <laughs> just, at another point in the episode. It's just a little <laughs> thought bubble above his head, and it's just like, you know, a fork and knife. Yeah. And a little, and an over crib. <laughs> so... The, uh, the second one that I have, just real quick, is is the antithesis of that guy, and it was a man named Thies of Kaltenbrunn in the 17th century. He claimed himself to be a hound of God, specifically that he would break into hell with other werewolves, steal grain, 
back from the demons and bring them back to the village to give them back to the people. This was a guy who said this at a trial when he wasn't even on trial. He was, he was a witness in someone else's (laughs) trial. And he said, Oh, by the way, I'm a werewolf. I work for God. Fuck the devil. I'm getting your grain back. Yeah, that's the best heist I've ever heard <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah, it really is. There's going to be a really good hell. Ocean's 13 about that or something. And and the, and the and the last thing about him is that he is another, a new version that I don't know if he came up or if it's come up before about passing it on where he, you could go to someone and you could give them a toast. You would toast to their health. And then if you shared a glass with them, you would take on the mantle of werewolf. And it was, I, I suppose, a responsibility that you take on. Yeah, see, in that situation, it, it's not only is it, oh, I became this this monster because I lost my self-control. It's almost like being knighted. Right, and, yeah. And, it's, like, and, it's like, oh, lucky me. I get, yeah, I and in this situation, the, the knighting means you basically become like an agent of God right. that is tasked with fighting the devil right. and helping Imagine the community. Imagine the self-righteousness of a guy who believes that not only can he turn into a wolf, but he's doing it to yeah. save humanity from Plus, the devil. Plus, I wouldn't eat that fucking grain. It would taste like sulfur if it was in hell. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's true. They like, just take a bunch of seeds and he just comes back with popcorn. He's yeah. like, hey, this wasn't such a bad idea. <laughs> why, is sta- why is the devil stealing people's grain and crops and shit? Yeah. Doesn't he have better things to do at this time? I, you know, he's just kind of a dick sometimes. That's he did true. it as a goof. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. I feel like sometimes he's just got to get those little jabs in just to yeah. you know, let everybody know he's still there. Fuck hey, that. fuck you. I stole all your grain. <laughs> yeah. What you going to do? I think fucking werewolves. Yeah, I like that he's from Brooklyn. <laughs> hey, yo. What, what, what are you going to fucking come get your grain back? What are you going to do? Turn into a werewolf? It's Bullshit. Me, the devil. You fucking In mook. 1691. <laughs> Bada bing. I think we've probably put off far too long uh, talking about the original reason we wanted to do this podcast. So I'm going to leave it up to Dave uh, to tee it up about a very specific kind of shapeshifter that is very close to home if you live in in northern america okay these creatures we've been talking about have all been things that you have to live with for the rest of your life and and part of what's so creepy about lycanthropy and werewolves are that you become this monster you do terrible things and then you go back to being a human i'm going to talk about the windigo you said wind windigo right yeah yeah. I'm from Canada. <laughs> hey, he didn't say that yet. A Wendigo oh, is anyone that comes from Canada. <laughs> um, yeah. Justin Trudeau, Wendigo. But, I don't care how handsome he is. He is but very handsome, though. The Wendigo is a Native American monster. And just to give you a, a physical description, in case you're not familiar with it, because uh, everyone knows what a werewolf looks like, but I'll describe a Wendigo is a very tall, uh, almost 15 foot tall, by some accounts, monster. Like Dikembe Mutombo would be like this guy's little brother. Yeah. Uh, Very, very sinewy and malnourished. Uh, Gaunt uh, has been a word used to describe it quite a bit. Uh, It's very, very fast, an excellent hunter, and it craves human flesh. And, um, you know, we'll post some images of it on the website because there's a lot of, you know, it's not like anyone has snapped a bunch of pictures of Wendigos, but there have been a bunch of uh, artist renditions of it. extinct. Way to go, humanity. (laughs) Uh, But it's a Native American folklore, and uh, I'm going to butcher a lot of the names of the tribes uh, that I'm going to say. The one that's safest is Cree. Um, The Cree and the... uh, Ojibwa tribe. Nailed it. Ojibwa? Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll figure it out. Ojibwa. <laughs> <laughs> but the Wendigo is supposed to be native to the northeastern parts of Canada and uh, places like Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, it, it... Don't you know? It comes down into our territory. But basically, the Wendigo... <laughs> yeah, we're building a wall on we're, the wrong side. We're gonna make the Wendigos pay for it. I feel like chupacabras are tiny. We can let those in from Mexico, but <laughs> these guys sound like bad news. Yeah, no, they are. Like what it is is the Wendigo, according to Native American folklore, used to be a human. Um, however, the way they became a Wendigo was they 
resorted to cannibalism. It's said that once you eat somebody, even if the situation is incredibly desperate, you will be possessed and taken over by a Wendigo spirit. So, I mean, just right there, you can draw a connection to bad behavior and people trying to sway others from it. But, you know, with the werewolf, you know, we told some stories that I, th- I think the one date you mentioned was in the 1500s. So the Wendigo has been around before documented history, and it's had an impact all the way up into the early 1900s. Um, This is something that settlers in the New World would write about in their journal. You know, it was a fear of the Wendigo. They were afraid to go in the woods at night. Now, whether this was an actual creature or this is what the Native Americans wanted them to believe uh, is up for debate. God, I hope that's what it is. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah. there's there's documented cases of this. Um, there were Wendigo hunters. There was a man named Jack Fiddler of the Cree tribe. Uh, this was in the northeastern uh, Canada, right around the Great Lakes. And he was the village shaman of about 150 people. And one of the big things he was known for was he was a Wendigo hunter. And it wasn't just that he hunted things that looked like Wendigos. He would hunt and kill people possessed by Wendigos. Now, is the Wendigo is, you know, obviously it, it, there's a lot of similarities to the werewolves here, but is there like a defined way to kill a Wendigo? Like there's with the silver bullets killing a werewolf? Yeah, if he's hunting, then what are his, what's okay. in his toolkit? So that really... Depends if it's in its monster form, which, you know, there's conflicting stories. Uh, I think the idea is that the transformation to a Wendigo is a lot more gradual than it is with a werewolf, where somebody becomes possessed by a Wendigo spirit. They begin to do very bad things, uh, chief among them being they crave human flesh and will eat people. And eventually, over time, just like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, they start to physically transform. Uh, so one can say so it's that almost in, like, is it correct that there's almost two beings in, it's like a symbiosis of the spirit and the person, or does the person, is it like a fusion? Because that's what I think is different than werewolves, which is often chalked up as like a physical thing entirely, like it's a sickness. What's fascinating about this is, like you said, you're possessed by a spirit. So at what point... Oh, yeah. Is that transfer of power, I guess, or that transfer You're, that occurs happens. Uh, once somebody is possessed by a Wendigo, they're pretty much taken over completely, and there is no coming back from it all. There is supposed to be no cure. And I'm, I'm going to jump. I'll come back to, to Jack Riddler in a minute. Ooh, stay tuned. There's, <laughs> there's a story, again, in the Canadian Upper Great Lakes area, of a man uh, also of the Cree tribe named Swift Runner who lived out in isolation and after a very long winter, he more or less stumbled into a local church and told a preacher that it had been an incredibly difficult winter and his entire family was dead. Uh, His children, his wife, his brother, everyone. Uh, It didn't really fit though because he was well-fed. He was over 200 pounds. And they found that he had eaten his entire goddamn family. Um, you know what? Like when when so the his whole family weighed less than two hundred pounds. Yeah. So like when the Mounties went out there, um, they basically found snap bones with the marrow sucked out all wow. over the property. Yeesh. Like he he full out he ate everyone. <laughs> um, they eating everybody up in here. And he claimed in court, just like you're insane person, that he was possessed by the spirit of a Wendigo. Um, he was hung, uh, obviously. Yeah, he was. But, he um, was 15 feet tall. <laughs> they were just unsettled by how tall he was, so they hung him. But, uh, I, I mean, that is supposed to be the beginning of what a Wendigo-inhabited person is supposed to be like. Um, when did you say this happened? This was l- very, very late 1800s, I think 1897. Okay. Which is not 
terribly it long was ago. Not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. So Dave just showed us a picture of this guy in shackles. Yeah. And you look at the dress that he's wearing, not dress, but like the garb that he's wearing, and yeah, and it's, it's Hollister. No, yeah, it's, it's American Eagle. I mean, you got to hand it to him for for paying those uh, the higher wages for for American workers. But he's wearing like clothes that are synonymous with that time. It you look at it, it's like really this guy was hanged for this. Like this yeah. is the this is not long before World War One. Like it's oh, yeah, it, you no, know this, this it's a crazy thing to think about. It's pretty recent, and now and now when these creatures uh, take their full shape. Um, which, like, like I said, it only gets worse. Like the the Wendigo never gets to go back to being a person. Um, they're incredibly emaciated, and just like the the zombie, they're never satisfied. They're always going to crave human flesh. Now, jumping back to Jack Fiddler for a second, he was a Wendigo hunter. He hunted people possessed by Wendigo spirits. As a result of that, he killed fourteen people. Wow. 14 people that, uh, you know, and rightfully so, he thought were Wendigos. And, like, this wasn't like he was the nut job in town. He was the village shaman and the chief. Right. He was same, very same well respected. Same thing with judges that put witches to death. Like, oh, yeah, thanks for taking care of us, man. You're, you're keeping us safe. Oh, yeah, no. These people absolutely did think that they were being kept safe by this guy. And the way he would do it um, was, you know, at least the most notable one, the last one he did uh, a woman was brought in uh, by her family, and she was in great pain. Uh, he recognized right away what was wrong, and he's got a Wendigo in her. <laughs> and he basically used a garret um, and slowly strangled her to death. So, and I imagine this is with the full consent of her family. No, this oh. is the this is the one time. That that wasn't the case, which I'm assuming is why it was his last time. <laughs> yep. Like so, basically they they like, oh, you went after now, him Fiddler. with the law, and yeah, suddenly you know he was taken away. Uh, Can you imagine it took him 14 murders 14, for somebody to yeah. be like, "Hold on, I don't think she was a Wendigo." Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> let this guy kill people anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know you know. Again, this wasn't like this was the crazy person on the outskirts of town. This creature is so embedded in some folklore and in, in, in some culture that he was, everyone thought he was doing a service. Yeah. You know, he, he was very well looked upon as someone who was keeping them safe at night. Right. And I mean, for Christ's sake, this was. This was a little over a hundred years ago. It was not that long ago. Yeah. In a time where we often attribute at least half as much reason and level headedness as we, as we do today. Uh, just this wild idea that people are like, well, yeah, obviously we, we need this guy. We, and, and now we can look back and be like, Oh, he was just a straight up serial killer. But if you put it in that context, it's kind of crazy to think about probably how many people might have been okay with this man killing their own family members. Like, well, we got to be kept safe from them. Like, they're not them anymore. They're a Wendigo. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to think just what was going on in Jack Fiddler's head. I mean, yeah. you're right. He might have just been a serial killer who just for the longest time was like, yeah. I can't believe they're letting me yeah, do I this. I can't. Yeah, there's really, that's the thing, right? It's, is he a con man who's going, because I'm assuming he's making a living some degree. At least people are probably offering him food as thanks. Um, I, it, you know, you I know. don't know if he was, I don't think he was getting money for doing this. Um, I mean, he was the chief. Uh, well, and so in know, that way, he has all the money anyway. I mean, I his father was a Wendigo hunter, too. There is a very real chance that he that, fully believed what he was he, doing. He yeah. saw Wendigos. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like, you know, if one of us suddenly started saying they're seeing Wendigos everywhere, uh, w the other two would probably say, knock it off. No, you're not. Right. Um, if you have an entire community. Yeah. Also saying that they see Wendigos and then applauding you for dealing with them. You, you know, you you must get caught up. Um, and I mean, when I say this is embedded in their culture, the, again, here's the name I'm going to butcher, the Ojibwa tribe, about the 
existence of dogs. Um, I believe in dogs. It's a, it's a uh, very... I'm going to be the, the bold one on this podcast <laughs> and say I wholeheartedly believe that dogs exist. But it's a very old story that basically one of their, you know, I don't know if you would call it a god, basically gave them dogs for the first time specifically to hunt down Wendigo, to protect them from Wendigo. Um, you know, this very much seemed to be something that people were told, both uh, for two reasons. One, to move people away from doing something deplorable, even in a desperate situation such as cannibalism. Right. But also, this was the boogeyman. You know, this was the thing that people feared in the dark. And it it hung around for a long time. People died over this. You know, people were killed. Uh, and there's an entire phenomenon called Wendigo psychosis, which is more or less what Swift Runner uh, was probably suffering from. And that is when somebody gets it into their head that they've been possessed by a Wendigo. And just like your thing with the werewolves, they... They start to crave human flesh. Right. You know, they feel they have to eat. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, there's uh, that, that clinical side of it where the person's not right in the physical sense. Like, you are not a Wendigo, but if you believe that all that you are exists within your head, this is reality for them. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that this guy's a Wendigo. If he, if he believes it and he believes that this is how he has to sustain himself it's like well for you might not look like one but you're a wendigo i guess yeah that's pretty wild um i think what's particularly interesting about the wendigo is that i there's definitely places where it's popped up in pop culture we had talked about before this podcast he's actually a recurring villain of wolverines um logan being from canada it's it's a creature that he's had to fight and has a backstory in the yeah, Marvel and universe. They present it, and I feel like a lot of the ideas that people might have about Wendigos is that it's sort of a Canadian analog to Sasquatch, right? And you know, in the the one that Wolverine and the Hulk fights is he's gigantic and strong and covered in fur. Um, but so I'm glad that you gave like the physical description of what they're supposed to look like because that's much cooler than just it's uh, way more fascinating yeah. than it's just a species of animal because really the way that i had thought about it for a long time back in you know high school when i kind of first realized that this was part of the marvel universe and it's like a recurring character i thought of it almost like the yeti like yeah, okay yeah. a wendigo exists for the same reason that the the yeti does in nepal it's just this mythic creature that goes in snowy northern reaches and that's why it exists it's just like oh well we found some tracks and we don't know how to describe them it clearly has a lot more to do with their shamanistic tradition their religious tradition um which i'm sure those connotations happen for some people for bigfoot and sasquatch but not all this is much more closer closely directed towards lycanthropy and things like that yeah, no, there seems to be a reason for all of this, whether it's werewolves and uh, why you shouldn't defy God or be violent or, I guess, have sex. Um, or the Wendigo ever. about why you shouldn't eat people. Um, That's a fair one. I think we can all get down with that. And it's in that order to it. Absolutely do not have sex. And if, well you, think of it, if you think of it, don't eat people either. Just try not to. But all right. So I, I think we kind of touched on all of the stuff that we had had looked to kind of talk about this. I would really suggest for this one, and I know we're going to say this at the end of every episode, we're probably going to have a ton of links that we have to round yeah, up. There's, from, there's a lot on this one. Yeah, from all of the research that we did, and we're going to put it on our website. And please go into this stuff because it's. I'm sure it's going to come up again. And in particular try to be on the lookout for all of the ways that this comes up in different cultures and let us know if you found something we didn't know about, because there was a lot of stuff that I breezed right through. You know, we talked in depth about Wendigos and about the Western tradition of, of werewolves, but there were a lot of things where it's like, Oh, here's a creature in Mongolia. That is this where I said, Oh my God, we don't even have time to talk about that. So yeah, we just barely scratched the surface on all the folklore mythology out there about lycanthropes. 
yeah. So please let us know. Reach out to us on uh, Twitter at AOE Podcast. Reach out to us on Facebook. Just look up The Age of Enfrightment. Simple as that. Go on our website, aoepod.com. Uh, find our links there. Send us a message. We'd love to hear what people's thoughts are on this sort of thing. Send a raven. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening. Uh, this has been a really fun episode. Thank yeah. you, guys. I feel good about this one. I feel good about this one, and I feel good about life. I feel good about America. <laughs> I have so many horrible things yeah, to edit out America. that we said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, Peace. everyone. Bye.